Welcome to Living the Word Today, brought to you by Mount Calvary Baptist Church. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is to not only understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word.
Well, today we're going to jump into Psalm 131. I hope you have a Bible to join us in our study, if at all possible. We're going to be looking at another one of these Songs of Ascents, and that's Psalms 120 through 134, that were the songs that were sung as the worshipers were going to Jerusalem in Bible times, and they sang these, this, from this collection of songs, they sang these songs as they went along in this journey. And today we're going to look at a journey from where we are to a journey that's going to arrive at a place of peace. Now it also tells us in the beginning of this psalm that it's written by David. Let me just read. It's only three verses long, a very compact, very brief song. But let me read these words to you and then we'll dive into the fact that David wrote it, which is going to open up some understanding for us. Reading Psalm 131, verse 1. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. What a beautiful psalm. Maybe it's one that you are familiar with. I'm sure most of us have read the psalm somewhere along the line and found some encouragement from it. So it's a psalm of David. Now you think about David. What a man to write a song like this. Okay, This is literally the man who went from rags to riches. He went from a nobody to a hero. He went from somebody that even his own family overlooked to a person that no one overlooked. He was the most influential, most famous person of his day in his country and beyond. He was the giant killer. He was the one who went from most wanted by his father-in-law, former king, previous king Saul, to Israel's most wanted, to the man they wanted to be king and made him king over Israel. He's the one who conquered and captured Jerusalem and made it his, his, the capital of his kingdom. And, and God blessed him in so many ways. This is the man that tells us about his own journey from self-centeredness to peace. And as we think about that, we're going to see this in verse 1 where he says this, Lord, my heart is not haughty. Lord, my heart. Now, first of all, we're going to find out this a true spiritual peace is a journey from our self-sufficiency to finding our rest and our confidence and our peace in Him. And as we rest in Him, we can just find this, this wonderful reality that He is available to us, that He can speak to us, that He's, he's there for us to, to take us through all of life. So he says, first of all, this, this journey begins with, with humility. It starts with humility. That's what he's talking about in this verse. Verse, oh Lord, my heart is not haughty. Well, first of all, before we get to the haughty part, let's talk about the heart part. He talks about the reality that, that it is his heart that he's doing business with. If we're going to find true humility in life, we need to start with our heart. Our heart is that inner part of us, that part of that is emotional, spiritual, thought, ambition, imagination. All that that we're aware of, and God certainly is completely aware of, but also that part that we tend to mask from other people. You know, we only let people see as much as we want them to see, and we only uh, to to that we would let in. So, and we do sometimes we compensate and we we try to cover some things on our inside. But he says that's the issue. That's where it takes place, deep inside. That's where the issue always is, and and self sufficiency sometimes invades that space, and we think that we could just be something special, that we can be something great. Now, sometimes we uh, don't like to use the word pride, but that's what the opposite of humility is, and this is the venue in which it resides. But sometimes we insert into that space of our heart. Uh, we, we use a different word because pride sounds a little ugly. So we say confident, be confident. If you could just be confident, you could have the right job, you could have success in life, you can have the right boyfriend, girlfriend, have a successful marriage. If you just have confidence, 
Well, confidence is a powerful tool, but it can't come from the outside plastered on. It has to come from the heart out. And it really comes from our relationship with God, ultimately, to have genuine biblical confidence. And it's confidence not based in me, because we know our own strengths are limited, our own abilities are limited. But we have a God who has unlimited everything, who's within us, and we can have confidence in Him, confidence in His Word, confidence in the promises. So the issue is always the heart, examining heart. Secondly, we need to extract pride from that. That's the reason He says, Lord, my heart is not haughty. You think of a person that had every reason to think, well, I'm really special. I am king. What I decide, there's no Supreme Court going to overrule. I'm not going to be voted out of office. I'm not subject to the whims of a public opinion poll. I can do whatever I want because I'm king. And I've got it through my own efforts and my own strength and my conquering and my warrior ability. Not so. Not so. He says, I'm not haughty. Haughty has the idea of self-sufficiency. And, and self-sufficiency, by definition, rules out the need for God, that we need God in our life, that we, we desperately need Him. So we need to extract this pride. And you know that it evidences itself in many ways. We need to think about how it evidences in our life. Sometimes it's just... Rather than really listening to somebody when they want to talk to us, when they need us to listen to them, instead we, instead we think about and we're concentrating on the fact that indeed not what they're saying, but what clever, brilliant thing can I say so that I look good? So we need to come to this realization that it's about them, not about us, and about serving God through them. Sometimes it's just a, a, a focus on ourselves, always trying to make ourselves the hero of every story, that we can always get our story in on top of someone else's story. It's just that privately. He said, I'm not haughty because I've given up self-sufficiency. I've given up that to you, God. I'm not haughty before you. Then he says this, nor, nor my eyes lofty. Eyes that are lofty are eyes that are up, and eyes that are up look down on other people. This is that comparing and judging quality of pride. I'm better than them. I'm over them. I'm okay. It's kind of like this parable that Jesus told where the two men went to the temple to pray. One who was a tax collector who was considered in their society the worst of the worst morally. And he was beating on his chest and he wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. And he prayed, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he says there was this Pharisee beside him. He's saying, I thank, God, thank you, God, I'm not like him. <laughs> Jesus asked the question, which one went down justified? And obviously, it was not the one who wouldn't even, would not confess any faults of his own, but was comparing himself with someone else. So it's not that comparing. So it's not that lofty. I said, I've extracted all of that self-sufficiency out so I can really depend on God. Lord, you made me. If you're one of his children, he saved you. He saved us. And he has a glorious future. And he's, he's able to get us from now until that glorious future as well. His promises are intact. His presence is with us. We can depend on him. And we just need to come to this. Now, this haughty look is something that he experienced. And it also says something about David's humility. In the second Samuel chapter 6, there's the story of David wanting, after he conquered Jerusalem, he's, he's now king, he wants to bring the, the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, into a tent that he set up where it will be the place of worship. He wants Jerusalem to be the center of worship. And God was pleased to grant that. And it's still the center focus of, uh, as, as far as geography of this world, Jerusalem is still there. This is the focus of God's eyes. And someday Jesus will return to that spot and rule for a kingdom for a thousand years, the Bible tells us in Revelation. So, he sets up this kingdom. He wants to bring the tabernacle back. And as he's doing it, there's a, there's a mistake made in the first one. A man is struck dead. You can read all about that. He, after a time of mourning and kind of recalibrating, he brings the, 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 the ark in. And it's being carried by the priests on their shoulders. 
it says that he took off the, the outer garments. He took off all of his kingly garments. He just dressed like a common person. And he's dancing before the Lord and praising the Lord. And Michael, his wife, who was also King, da King Saul's daughter, and by the way, she was part of the, the trophy package, if you will, when he defeated Goliath. She looks out and she later confronts him and says, you know, why did you make yourself so undignified? You should be a king. You should not act like common people. And then David makes a statement, I'm going to be even more undignified than this. I'm going to humble myself because it's all about God. He had a humble spirit. Lastly, in this start with humility, we need to exclude overstepping. That's what he says in the end of verse 1. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. And you think of something that in David's life that was profound, that he had trouble understanding, but he, he left it alone. He stayed in his lane, if you will. In the next chapter, what I was just alluding to, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, he has a conversation with Nathan, who was a prophet, and he, he says, I want to build a permanent structure for the worship of God. I'm going to build a temple, not a tent. And uh, he's all ready to do it. Nathan says, basically gives him a thumbs up. But then that night, God speaks to Nathan. Nathan has to come back the next day and says, no. God says, you can't build it. Well, why not? I mean, I've served you. I love you. I want to do this. God says, no. Scripture seemed to indicate that perhaps one of the reasons was because David was a warrior. And maybe God didn't want the, the, the concept to get out even to other nations that that worshiping God and God, he achieved this all through brute strength or being a bully, but through the power of God, perhaps there's some of that. But anyway, David accepts that. He, he's pleased with that. And then God goes on to promise him something great, which is an everlasting kingdom. And of course, that's fulfilled ultimately in Christ where Jesus is the one who will sit on the throne of David forever. By the way, if you notice how all these things in the Old Testament, if we look at them from New Testament eyes, we can just we can track the work that goes back or looks forward to Jesus. Let me just take a moment and say this to you. You know, these promises that we're going to look at here in just a moment where we can calm our souls and find peace and in this journey of life are only available to us if we have started, initiated a relationship with Jesus. And that starts with humility too by admitting that we are a sinner and we need a Savior, and that one and only Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ, that one who ultimately will rule. And He will save you because He paid sin's price. We're told in the book of Romans that the wages of sin is death. That's bad news for us. The good news is Jesus died in our place. And that verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the Savior. He is the one and only Savior. The great news is He can be your Savior today, and it's true of everyone listening today. Either He is your Savior or He can be your Savior. If you need help with trusting in Him for your salvation or understanding what that means, I or someone else that we can put, put you in contact with would love to have a conversation and answer your questions and help you come to this point of faith that you believe in Jesus. It's not something we do. It's something we believe that initiates this, this reality of salvation. And that, that comes through, first of all, humbling ourselves and being willing to admit, I can't do this on my own. I need Him. I need a Savior. So, start with humility. Examine your heart. Extract the pride. Avoid this overstepping. And that simply means there's things that are too profound for me. Things I can't understand. Rather than saying, you know, I don't understand that. I'm going to give up on God. We need to say, I don't understand that. I'm going to worship God. I heard an interview just a few days ago by a particular person. And, uh, they've been raised in a particular religious community different than, than probably most of our experience, but in a religious community. And uh, they had uh, rejected belief in God and now professed to be an atheist. And part of the things this person said was, how can, how can you believe that God is in control of everything 
At the same time, he allows enough free will that there's all this evil in the world. Either he controls or he doesn't. And this problem has plagued the, the thinking of theologians and philosophers for ages. And both of those things are, are true in the Bible. How they can be compatible, that's too profound for me. It's too profound for everybody, I believe. I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's something that we can ultimately resolve other than God has it resolved in his mind. You see, you can either let that push you away from God or you can say, Lord, you're beyond me and I need a God who's beyond me, a God who can lead me and take me to places I've never been before. So we need to trust him. So, so those things that, that we have in our life, do you have a list of questions you, that you have that you can't answer? Maybe it's questions that arise from the Bible. Maybe it's questions that alive, arise from the great thinking of life. Or maybe it's questions that come from your life experience. Why did this happen to me? Why do I have this limitation? Why have I not received that when other people do, et cetera, et cetera? You need to come back and say, those things are too profound for me. And this is where David lands. This is an important place to land. I'm humble before the Lord. Lord, it's not my self-sufficiency that made me king. And as I journey along in this life, I, there's things beyond me I'm not going to understand. I can't get it figured out, but I'm going to trust you anyway. I'm just going to release my trust to you. As Peter wrote over in the New Testament, casting all your cares on him for he cares for you he does care for you and he wants you to transfer those cares those concerns those worries over on him and as you do god's going to do great things in your life so secondly and now we come to verse uh, two and three you see it starts with humility but it also ends with hope and you might say well how can i get that hope how can i how can i extract that humility excuse me, how can I extract the pride and insert the humility in my life? How does that take place? Well, the psalm really doesn't say. It just says, I'm not haughty. I don't have a lofty, lofty look with my eyes. I don't get into those things that are too profound for me. He just is describing how he is, but we don't, he doesn't describe how he got there. In this case, I think it's one of those cases where it's not what the text says, but how the text is used. Remember, this text was used when they were going to Jerusalem to have a meeting with God to worship God, a rare but precious encounter with God. You want to be humble before Him? You have an encounter with God. You pray with an open heart and pray with all your sincerity. You get into the Word and you cling to these great and mighty promises. You see how great and significant and wonderful and majestic our God is. And suddenly you're struck with our own limitations and struck with the fact how great God is. Remember Peter when he was fishing? Jesus asked to borrow his boat. And the fishermen had been fishing all night, which is the customary time to fish, had caught nothing. And Jesus says, let's go fishing and put down your net. And Peter basically is saying, you know, Lord, we, this isn't going to work. But he says, it's your word, it will. He puts down the, 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 the net. And suddenly there's so many fish that the net is breaking and they fill their boat with fish. And they bring in their partner's boat in, fill it with fish. There's so many fish that almost the boat is in danger of sinking. And suddenly Peter realizes this is a miracle. Jesus is setting him up to tell him that he's going to make him a fisher of men. But notice Peter's reaction. He says, Peter falls down and says, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. He naturally, there was natural humility in the presence of God. You see that in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and seated on a throne, and angels were shouting back and forth in that sixth chapter of Isaiah, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You remember what Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm undone. Literally, I'm, just, I'm, I'm taken apart. And I'm a man of unclean lips. I recognize his own sinfulness before God. And you see that all through Scripture. You spend some time before God and 
you started well with spending some time studying His Word. Thank you for joining me with this. I really appreciate you giving your time to do this. And as we study God's Word together, we should humble ourselves and realize we need a Savior. He is a Savior. We have a God we can trust in. So it comes from worship. And we should regularly gather with other believers, if at all possible, to worship in a church on the Lord's Day. And we worship Him along through our days as well. Now, let's get to this hope part. He says, Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul. How has he quieted his soul? He gave up his self-sufficiency. How did he find this quiet in his heart? He had encountered God in worship, and naturally he surrenders his life to God. Lord, I trust you. It's not on me. It's on you. And that inserts calm. That inserts quiet into our soul where we need it. You say, that's what I've been looking for all along. It's right here. David found it in spite of all the worries and all the concerns and all the drama of his life, some self-created, some allowed by God to, to enter his life. But regardless of its source, he found his sufficiency in God. Now, he, he makes an illustration to help us understand what this means. He says, surely I've calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child with his mother. Now, he, he makes a contrast here because a weaned child is one that is now eating solid food, is no longer uh, living on mother's milk. So there's a difference between those two status. He said, I'm like the weaned child after being weaned. That's where we need to be. But think about this. If you've had any experience with a newborn child, yours or someone else's, uh, you know that a newborn is going to let you know when they're hungry. And they're going to cry, they're going to fuss, and they're not going to be happy until that need is met. They're noisy. They're not calm. And uh, they're not very compassionate. They won't look at, the, look at the watch and say, oh, it's 4.30 a.m., you know. Mom is tired. Dad has to get up early. I'll wait another three or four hours before I ask for something to eat. No, it's not the way it works. They just go off when they have that need. But a wean child is not as noisy. They're more quiet. They're more calm. And he says, like a wean child with its mother. And uh, uh, you, you moms out there probably know this better than I, but I've, I, as I was reading and researching this a little bit, that, that children that are near their mother that are weaned react differently. There's more calm and nurturing and snuggle, less trying to eat and, and to, to be nourished from mom. So there's a difference. And so he says, a wean child is like, I'm just calm. I'm nestled up next to someone who's going to take care of me. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the warmth of this person's presence. In essence, he uses that picture to say, this is what I'm experiencing with God. I've calmed my soul. I've quieted my soul. I've given up my self-sufficiency. I'm trusting in the Lord. I've done that through encountering Him in worship. And then I could just enjoy His presence. Bask in the warmth of His promises. Just find my comfort and my security in the knowledge that I'm with Him. And he goes on to say, like a weaned child is my soul within me. That's how I'm feeling right now. You want that feeling? We've already talked about it. Get rid of the pride. Get rid of the pride. We do that through encountering God in worship. And then we come to this place where we are trusting in Him, His promises and His presence. And we come to this place where we're no longer crying out for our needs and our wants and all those sorts of things. But we just come to this place where we're trusting in Him. So we start this way. We identify our struggles. What am I struggling with? And we take them back through this process. I'm not sufficient. It's too profound, too big for me. I surrender this to God. I give up my, my, my haughtiness and my lofty looks. I can't do this myself. I'm trusting the Lord. That trust and that humility is generated by time spent with God, encountering how great He is, seeing ourselves, putting ourselves in our place, and renewing our dependence on Him. And then we calm and quiet our souls. And that just looks like a weaned child nestled near 
its loving mother that's got this, this, this young child wrapped up in its arms. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful thing. Now, we also, in this installing calm into our lives, we have to realize that we sometimes have to reorder our expectations. Uh, we don't control the outcome. We're not in charge of everything. We're not even in charge of ourselves. And we come to this place that we just say, Lord, whatever you will. Whatever path you have for me in life. Maybe I don't have the best situation in this venue of life and family or in work or economic status or, or ability or the limitations you placed on me. Maybe it, maybe it doesn't work as well as I would think it would work and maybe I would prefer it works. But Lord, it works when I'm nestled up next to you. I don't want to be like that cranky, hungry newborn. I want to be like this contented child next to its mother. So you need to do that. And then something else that's amazing that this will do, it, first of all, it does it for us. And notice how personal that is. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul, verse 2, like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. So he says, Lord, you've done business here. You, you, in my heart and my soul, you've, you've made things secure. And once he's made things secure in here, then we're equipped to do something for someone else. That we have the spiritual strength, resilience, confidence in God, not ourselves. And just hope in Him, faith in Him, trust in Him. We've given up our self-sufficiency, believing if I just try harder, do more, work harder, if I could just be, if I could just put on this persona of confidence, everything's going to be good. No, let's get rid of our persona of confidence, especially in self, and replace it with a persona of humility and humble trust in Him. And we get that through worshiping in Him, worshiping Him, spending time in His presence. So this, we can identify our struggles, install calm, and then lastly, this can inspire hope in others. Notice how now He takes it from the individual to, to His country. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. So He speaks to His people. And as a good king, a good leader, He takes what God has done in here and He shares it with someone else. There's someone else needs to have your calm and your quiet that's instilled in you, pushed out into the world. I mean, how unusual would it be? How captivating would it would be with all the drama going on around us that we are people who are calm. We are composed. We're not fretting. We're not falling apart. We're just trusting in the Lord. And as we do, we put our faith in Him. As we put our faith in Him, that's a testimony to other people. And he says, Israel, hope in the Lord. And you understand, this was written a long time ago. A long time ago. But... Israel exists today. Jerusalem is still there. It's not in its final form or final position, but God promises yet, even in this day, a future for Israel. So he says, Israel, hope in the Lord. And the fact that, that even the city that he's talking about, that the city that many people would have sung this song as they walked along the road to get to, the fact that it is still there is indication that their hope was well-founded. And your hope is always well-founded when it's founded in the Lord. You trust in Him. So there's that faithfulness. And then he says, from this time forth and forever. Now there's two parts of that. Now we know the forever part, okay? Well, it's going to be all right for forever if you're one of His children, okay? And if you're not one of His children, I've already given you an invitation earlier. I'll be glad to share with you and help you come to Him. But if you're one of His children, you know the future. There's this place we call heaven, the new Jerusalem. Someday that we, if we die, Paul says it this way, to be absent from the Lord, absent from the body, excuse me, and to be present with the Lord. He says, that's, that's far better. Uh, we, you know, we have this wonderful future, and it's described in the Revelation that, that we have no, you know, tears are wiped from our eyes. There's no more pain, death, dying. There's no sin. It's, it's a perfect place. 
a place of worship, a place of reunion with other believers that have got there before us. So we have all these great things to, to think about. That's the future. But you know, sometimes there's a disconnect with the today. That's the reason this verse says, from this time forward, from today, from this moment in history until all forever, you can find calm, you can find quiet, you can find an extraction of, of self-sufficiency, an insertion of humility and trust in the Lord. It can be yours today and from this day forward until we have that experience of eternity yet future. What a wonderful truth that is. So you can have this today. I hope you do have this today. And we will set our goal to, to just do these things that God calls us to do. Let me read these verses one more time. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. May that be your forever reality as you serve and trust God today. Now let me just say a moment to those of you that are listening on the radio today. I thank you for spending some time listening to me teach God's Word. It is a privilege. It is a joy. I appreciate the feedback. But uh, we would love to hear from you. We'd love to know that you are receiving a blessing through what we're sharing. You can uh, send a note to our church address. You can find that on our website at calvarywv.com. You can also send us an email. Just send it to office at calvarywv.com. We'd just love to hear that this is being a blessing to you and trust that it will continue to be a blessing to you. It's our prayer that as we put this material out, that it will strengthen God's people and call others to be God's children through faith in Christ. God bless you. Have a great, great day. Welcome to Living the Word Today, brought to you by Mount Calvary Baptist Church. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is to not only understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word.